And we're back with the Strut South Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Greathouse. This episode today, guys, I'm telling y'all, this one is in-depth. We talk about a lot of stuff, and it's all about coyotes. I get on here with Dr. Mike Chamberlain. He was on an episode with us back during turkey season. We talked about turkey biology, turkey population. We And we actually hit a lot on, not necessarily coyotes, but we hit a lot on predators, and we did talk about a little bit about coyotes on that one so this is a really great one we go from a to z talking about all things coyotes and uh, i really enjoyed this episode really thank mike for coming on here um you guys go to facebook like us on there go to instagram um get on our youtube subscribe to our youtube channel uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming especially with deer season we're about to get get prepping for that here pretty hard um i know i'm ready i'm ready to start putting out some cameras and putting making food plots and all that good stuff but other than that last thing i'll say guys you can go on here you can get on this anchor app and send us a voice message if you want to get on here get on the podcast with us we welcome anybody and everybody um right now we've got a lot of guys lined up a lot of great guests lined up and we're always looking for more guests so if you want to get on here and talk hunting, um, you can send us a message on Facebook, send us a message on Instagram. If you want us to come up with a topic for an episode, you can go on the Anchor app and send us a voice message and basically ask your question on that app. You can just send us a voice message straight through the Anchor app. It's a cool little feature that it allows you to do. Or you can just send it to us on Facebook or Instagram. But I'll quit uh, trying to sell the the podcast, and I'll just let you guys listen to it. So, hope y'all enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Strut South Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Greathouse. Today we're going to talk all about coyotes, and I've got just the perfect guest to do that with. His name is Dr. Mike Chamberlain. He's a professor of wildlife ecology up there at UGA. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Ryan. It's good to be with you. Man, it's good. It's good you're on here, man. I'm glad to have you back. We uh, we did a podcast with Mike back in uh, turkey season, um, and it was all about basically just about turkey biology. Um, and uh that's that's primarily what your research is in right turkeys and coyotes yep yep that's right that's right that's pretty much pretty much what i've been doing for the past number of years awesome well that's great because we got just the perfect topic i mean i think um i think a lot of times with it whether it's a deer or turkeys or stuff like that you know a lot of stuff you see and hear about is um topics and ideas and tactics on deer and turkeys and not a whole lot of there's really not a whole lot of stuff out there about coyotes to the public to the public eye i would say yeah that's right that's right and a lot of a lot of what's out uh, is as you know is a lot of it's rhetoric and kind of inflammatory yeah Uh, yeah that's for sure polarizing animal yeah, yeah. Uh I definitely do think they 
they did get a bad rep every, every now and then or most of the time um we'll we'll start off and we'll do our rapid fire q a um and you just give me shortest quickest answer you can okay all right um do you like your coffee black or with creamer? Lots of creamer. Just like the way, just the way I like it. <clears throat> um, favorite deer recipe? Oh wow! Uh, probably just grilled, just grilled backstrap. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's the way I like it. I I take mine and put them on chish kebabs and grill it with bell peppers and onions and bacon wrapped around it yeah we uh we just slice the back strap and tenderize a little bit and marinate it and slap it on the grill for a couple of minutes each side and take it off when it's rare that's uh that's how i like it mm-hmm. all right um favorite animal to hunt uh without question would be deer whitetails yeah all right one person in history you'd like to meet Ooh, oh, I would say Lovett Williams. I, uh, Lovett Williams was a famous turkey researcher and I, he passed before I had kind of ascended to where I'm at now in the, in the turkey world. And I never got a, never got an opportunity to sit down and pick his brain. I would, I would love the opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. All right. Last one, um, favorite biscuit favorite biscuit that is a random question uh, <laughs> <laughs> i would say maybe just a spicy chicken biscuit from chick-fil-a that's that's pretty good yeah yeah you can't go wrong with the can't go wrong with chick-fil-a nah, nah. <sighs> all right well we'll go ahead and get right on into this here um and to start started off i mean everybody knows by now we're going to be talking all about coyotes um and we had kind of mentioned it right before we started the actual recording um i saw and you said you were reading it as well at the same time um i saw that there was a alleged coyote attack up in um new jersey in a uh in a park um i think it was today is june uh, 14th and this happened on the 13th um yeah that's yeah i was reading that as well apparently it it sounds like this coyote came into a an urban park and attacked a first attacked the mother who was pushing a stroller with a with a four-year-old and i guess the once the coyote bit the mother the the mother was trying to fend it off and then the coyote ended up biting the child as well before a before a police officer ultimately um approached and the coyote i guess apparently was pretty aggressive and the police officer shot the coyote and killed it so uh, i guess they're pending uh rabies testing now i'll, I'll be surprised if it, it doesn't come back as being rabid that's a that's yeah. a pretty textbook sounding case there yeah from from the story, it seemed it sounded like I think like uh, onlookers or something. They um, kind of intervened, I guess, and the coyote ran off. But then the police officer 
I think it was like an hour and a half later they said they spotted it. And then, then that's when he shot it and the coyote was approaching him, you know. Yeah. Basically yeah. with no fear and but they did say that um which I mean I think some people may kind of exaggerate things a little bit, but I mean who knows, it could be completely true, but they um they said the one that he shot was actually not as big as the one that attacked the the lady and the child. Um but who knows if that's true or not. But yeah, I was I was thinking that too. I think I would be really, really surprised as well if it wasn't if it didn't come back in test positive for rabies because um to me that seems like a very rare ordeal for it is it is yeah coyotes don't often attack humans and when they do there's usually there's usually an underlying cause such as they're rabid or you know they have some type of they're immunocompromised or sick something's wrong with them that's fine yeah and they get habituated to humans garbage garbage cans pet food etc and you put all that together and you you have a recipe for a problem yeah yeah because i was the first thing that made me think of it was why would it be why would it attack just alone by itself in a park with all these people around because coyotes are i mean i guess it's true i mean i don't know i'm not that knowledgeable about it but i would assume coyotes are more pack hunters than anything so they can be um coyotes can they can make a go of it on their own. We we frequently see that with our with our collared animals. They'll they'll hunt on their own. They typically, you know, they kind of they ebb and flow, if you will. They'll they'll hunt as a group cooperatively, and then they'll they'll hunt on their own as well. Particularly when they're either dispersing as youngsters, or you know, if they're transients moving around the landscape, they're they're by themselves, so they have to they have to make a go of it on their own. And they can they can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, if you could, like, I know, I mean, I know what transit means, but if you could kind of, in case any listeners out there don't understand what that means, um, what yeah. what is a transit? Sure, yeah. So, you know, what, what we found, which I think we may have talked about this before, but um, we found that there's two types of coyotes on the landscape. There, there are resonant coyotes that maintain a home range, territory if you will they defend it and they're a mated pair they're monogamous they spend time together they they rear pups together those pups stay in that home range until they disperse and then you have a transient coyote which this is a, a coyote that moves around constantly and basically what they do is they they move around the edges of these resident territories almost if you can imagine it's, it's like puzzle pieces and there are little spaces between the puzzle pieces and that's where these transients that's where they move they kind of navigate the landscape moving around these these resident packs if you will and they kind of settle down for a little while and and they may stay a few weeks in a in a general area and then they're on the move again and they move sometimes hundreds of miles uh, during this process before eventually they they either die 
or they find a territory. That's really the only two outcomes that are possible. So um, when, I, when I said transient, that's, that's what I mean. They, these are coyotes that are by themselves that are, in many cases, young coyotes, but not always. Uh, in many cases, it's a, it's a youngster that's dispersing from their the, the range they were born into. But in some cases, it's older coyotes that were part of a pair and their pair member, if you will, was killed or, or died. And they get displaced by another coyote of the same sex. And they, they start walking and they end up, you know, who knows where. We, In many cases, it's 20, 30, 40 miles away before they settle down, but in, we've had a number of cases, as have other researchers, where it's 100, 200 miles away. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Mm, yeah, that's um, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense vacation there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, a, a stressful process for them, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well, before we get digging into the questions, I guess we could start right off and uh, – if you've got any, is there any kind of, um, I guess, real interesting or research that you're doing right now that you could speak on or? Yeah. I mean, um, we're, we're pretty much wrapping up a, a large study now and I, I do have some work ongoing. Um, the larger study was a, was a study we called the tri-state study just for lack of of a, a sexier term, if you will. It was a, a study that involved us capturing a large number of coyotes, um, about 190 across three different states. That was South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. And we had previously done some work in North Carolina as well. And basically the, the, the scope of this study was, let's collar these coyotes and let's figure out you know, what percentage are residents and transients, what habitats do they use, we went into the territories of the residents and we collected their scat so that we could figure out what they were eating. We did this every month. Um, we looked at their survival, what predisposes them to dying, if you will. So in other words, could we figure out places on the landscape that are good coyote habitat versus riskier habitat? And, um, and we've wrapped that up and we're, we're actually we're publishing those those data. Um, some of that's appeared in in some popular press. If you're a member of the Quality Deer Management Association, there there was a an article in the last episode of Quality Whitetails that, that I wrote that kind of detailed some of the diet work that we found. And then I have a an ongoing study where we're looking at kind of coyote behavior during the spring, uh, which is you know, coyotes breed in winter and then they, they they produce pups in the spring at the same time that turkeys are nesting, quail are starting to nest, um, you know, does are starting to fawn. So that we were, were curious to see how these coyotes behave when they're trying to rear pups. So the work we're doing now, which is right here in Georgia, is uh, is looking at real fine movements we're, we're getting lots and lots of locations on these coyotes each day to try to figure out where their dens are how much they're moving during the day night where they're going 
et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. All right. Well, I guess that kind of, uh, which I already had most of these wrote down, but that kind of gives me the, the fuel for, to ask for these questions I got wrote down. Um, well, let's, so first off, I don't think at least I'm not aware. I, I, I believe they never were, but did they, didn't, didn't coyotes come from somewhere else? Yeah. Coyotes were, a, they were a Midwestern species. Um, and instead, at least, in, you know, here in the Southeast, we had, we had red wolves were, were a native dog, if you will. And when red wolves were essentially extirpated from the landscape, coyotes started moving East. Um, a lot of what we've done as human beings facilitated that they, they benefited from the federal highway network. They, they tend to use roads when they're transients and they're walking around. They, they tend to select for roads and they use that to navigate. So fast forward from the 1940s and fifties to the 1990s and, and that's relatively short period of time coyotes moved from the Midwestern United States all the way to the Atlantic coast. And now they're, you know, they're, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous throughout the, the South and the Eastern United States. Hmm. That's pretty, uh, yeah, that's, that's a pretty short amount of time for them to basically take over the whole country. <laughs> well, it is. And it, for an animal that size, that, I mean, that, that's, it's pretty remarkable. They, they've, they've expanded their range um, much, much greater than, than you would predict if you just looked at the animal and say, hey, you know, how much would they expand their range in, say, a 50-year time span? It, it's, it's, quite, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, all right, now that we know how they got here, let's talk about... Um, what are some of the problems that they may cause, but also maybe some of the benefits of having coyotes? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't often get the, the question of what good are they? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I usually get the question of uh, how do we get rid of them and, and what harm are they causing? But yeah, we can, I mean, we can start with the, with the positive that, you know, coyotes took over, the niche of the red wolf they they took over this place in the in the ecosystem and they do provide ecosystem services they you know, they they prey on rodents um, they disperse seeds so when they eat fruits they disperse seeds in the environment through their scat which then can then you know germinate so from a, a top level predator and a seed disperser, et cetera, they are, you know, a benefit to the environment. On the flip side, with that, as you see with many, with many predators, particularly you know, mammals, uh, they, they eat some things that make people mad, <laughs> yeah. if, you will, if you will, and, and they, can, they can have negative effects on, on some species. We know that that they can they can limit deer production in areas, particularly in areas with low density herds. Uh, the 
there's a growing body of evidence showing that depredation of sea turtle nest and, and sensitive species like that can be really problematic because of coyotes. So, uh, you know, they, they're, like I said, they, they do provide ecosystem services, but they also can be, uh, can be problematic. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think because whitetails are basically the biggest, like the most hunted or the most prized big game animal on the planet. Um, I think that's why coyotes probably get a lot of, um, hate is because of deer. Um, uh, I mean, we know they do eat deer and, uh, but what, what are what are what is their main diet? What does it consist of? But the work that we that we just completed, the most frequent prey item in their diet was deer, year round, which is a it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, what we found was that all twelve months, uh, back up just a second that when you when you look at their scat you, you basically and it's a, it's a dirty job um, no pun intended but you, <laughs> you you wash their scat you, you basically wash it you you put it in a, a like a ripstop type bag that that water can seep through and you wash it and it and all that's left is whatever material hair bone whatever and then we spend time identifying what what that is what kind of hair is that what kind of bone is that what kind of feather is that and you can distinguish fawn hair from adult hair. And even if it just looks like deer hair, you could measure the diameter of the hair shaft under mm-hmm. a microscope. And if it's bigger than a certain diameter, it's, it's an adult deer. And if it's smaller, it's a, it's a fawn. So we did that. And what we found is that obviously, as you would expect, when fawns start hitting the ground, coyotes eat them. But surprisingly, we also found that there were adult hair remains in coyote scat all 12 months of the year. And that, that varied depending on the pack. Some, some packs of coyotes ate more deer than others, obviously. Uh, we, we know that coyotes can kill adult deer, but that finding was still, at least to me, it was a little surprising because a lot of the in fact, all of the previous research in the southeast had shown that they tend to just hit fawns during the summer, and then you see an uptick in deer use during the fall and winter, which we've always said was just them, you know, using hunter-killed carcasses or wounded deer. But no, no, they they are they're taking adults and they're doing it year-round. Hmm. Now, I mean, and I, and I will say, outside of that, the coyotes eat everything. Man, they, they are the they are the ultimate omnivore. They they eat rats, mice, rabbits, uh, fruits. Huge part of their diet is uh, persimmons in the fall, blackberries, dewberries in the spring and summer. Uh, if they have access to watermelons, as many as many folks that grow gardens, cantaloupes. They love cantaloupes. Peaches, pears, apples, any kind of fruit they can get their mouths on, they'll eat. So they'll eat almost anything. But what we found is that, at least in 
the, the areas we study, deer were the staple of their diet. <clears throat> All right. Um, I mean, if, if it, in my opinion, I would assume that they actually do like seek out and hunt deer, but, um, especially since that's their main, basically 12 months out of the year, that was the main diet. Um, but is there any way to know or if like, I don't know how to ask this. Is there any way to know if majority of those are from them actually tracking down hunting deer or are they maybe being opportunistic if they find a dead deer or yeah, uh, something yeah, like so, that? Yeah. So first we can't tell whether they scavenged the deer or, or killed it. I mean, we have no way of knowing that. Right. Working. But I, I will say, and I get this question a lot, and it's a, it's a legitimate question. Um, and I would say to that, it, you know, vultures are scavengers. They, they are true scavengers. Their entire life is, genera- is built around finding and securing a carcass and then eating it. Right. Around, and they use their nose, their, their senses to detect carcasses. Well, coyotes are constrained to a home range. And unless you're a coyote that a relatively small home range compared to a vulture. And, and so they don't just run around the landscape looking for carcasses. They are, yeah. they're, they're stuck, if you will, in a, in a range. And if the opportunity presents itself and a, a deer shows up on the side of the road dead or a hunter doesn't recover a deer or, you know, Mike or Ryan clean their deer and then, what they don't use, they discard. Well, sure, if, if they find that opportunity, they're going to, to take advantage of it. But they can't count on that opportunity. So I, I say to people when they ask me, well, how do you know it, it's just not them scavenging all year? Well, you can't count on having deer available to you all year in a home range that's only a few square miles. And a lot of these coyotes outside of the hunting season uh, would have absolutely no availability of carcasses. It's not, you know, deer, for instance, a lot of these territories were away from major roads. They were in the back 40, if you will. And so there, there aren't carcasses popping up inside of their home ranges every few weeks. So that, that tells me that they are taking deer. Sure, they're opportunistic, but they're also capable of, of killing adults, and they're doing that. Um, we don't know, and, and we have no reason to suspect that coyotes wake up in the morning or at night and say, let's go hunt deer. Um, what they do instead is they, they use areas of their home range that are productive, and in other words, where they're encountering something to eat. And that tends to be areas, uh, at least in a coyote's perspective, an area where they can see. Coyotes are, they, they, they are sight predators and they're, they use their nose and they, they course their environment. And when they smell something or they see something, they chase it. And from the deer's perspective, you know, they, they're bouncing along at night they may be walking around with another coyote or there may be another coyote nearby, which we often see. So in other words, they're not, they're not literally running together, but they may be a short distance from each other. 
and one or both of them or multiple coyotes detects a deer, they're going to try to course their way and get close enough to it to have a reasonable shot at chasing it down. Um, unlike, say, bobcats who just sit and wait on something to walk by, the coyotes are going to chase. So if a deer presents itself, they'll chase it. If a rabbit presents itself, they'll chase it rather than, hey, I think I'm going to go deer hunt tonight. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I kind of hate to stay on the topic of coyotes eating deer, but I'm just having so many more questions pop in my uh, head now. Um, I, I ask away. Um, now, I don't know. I just kind of, I just kind of blew my own mind a little bit. I don't know. Maybe because I was thinking maybe too deep in thought to myself, (laughs) but, uh, all right. Now, if, is there any way, which I mean, I don't know if you, you, you said your research, what, what was like 190 coyotes? Yeah. Which that was all across three states um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now was there any type of like i guess did y'all keep track of like in in like say one piece of property how many coyotes there were or how many you had in that one property compared to how many deer may have been on that property or something like yeah. that no well we knew we knew only our marked coyotes. So basically what we did is we hired trappers. Right, those trappers right. trappers went in and, and put GPS collars on, on coyotes. So we don't know how many other coyotes were there, although it's pretty obvious when you, when you start putting the collars out and you get the data back, you see that these, these residents that we marked they're like puzzle pieces. And then, you know, again, the the transients were kind of running all over the place. It's pretty easy to see when we missed one, you know, in other words, right. puzzle piece missing here. Uh, but we don't know, we don't know deer abundance uh, on the sites that, that we studied. And that's because we, we really have a poor ability to understand deer abundance at, at least precisely at the scale right. that, that we would need to know it at for this type of work. I mean, these coyotes covered hundreds and hundreds of square miles, and we just don't know deer abundance at that scale. Yeah, see, because that's why, it, that's what got me to thinking, like, basically, I mean, if you were to think, you know, if a coyote is eating just one pack, I mean, then this is at a minimum. Um, if let's say you had two packs of coyotes on your property and just one of those packs was eating one deer per month off mm-hmm. of your property, um, that's a lot. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion, and no matter, no matter what the size of your property is, I would think that's a lot. Yeah, that that's right. And, and what we found is that the and there's a little bit of ambiguity if you will here because it's 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 difficult to take what you find in a scat and then translate it to how many deer that that represents but that there is and I'm, i won't go into this because the listeners absolutely don't care but 
there's some math <laughs> there's some math involved and, oh yeah <laughs> um, so we did that and to predict you know how, how many deer does that represent and what we found is that some of these packs were only adult deer were only eating one or two a year it wasn't many and other packs that may be just down the road or you know over in the next state were eating eight six eight nine ten adults a year Mm -hmm. so so it it varied a lot across the landscape and, and we were able to pin down pretty nicely what what influenced how many deer they ate and and what we found is that coyotes that that maintain really small home ranges small being a couple square miles they eat a lot of deer and and i think and it makes sense to me anyway that coyotes that can center their home ranges in areas that have a lot of food and if you are dominant resident in your part of the world and you've got access to some good ground, put that home range on a spot with a lot of deer. Because if you do, you've got a year-round food source. And if you think about it, uh, it takes a lot of effort to go out and chase mice to mm-hmm. get a couple of mice. It also takes a lot of effort to take down a deer. But if you can take one, Right. The the reward is, is worth the energy that's expended. So it makes sense to me, hey, go find a, a spot to settle down that has a lot of deer. The other thing we found, which also makes sense, is that areas with more open habitat, they, they ate more deer. Uh, and that makes sense, too, because, again, this animal is adapted to chasing things. So to me, that, that speaks to the notion of you, know, you need to give deer thick, dense security cover. And when you do, they can get away from coyotes. Coyotes are not adapted to the, and a lot of people don't, don't realize this. I have to remind myself of it constantly. But coyotes aren't adapted to be here. They've quickly, they've quickly adapted to be here, but they're not really a forced species. They're not. They're not designed to run around and really fix stuff. Mm-hmm. They do, they do, and they can, and they make they make it work. But that's not their ball game. Their ball game is open areas where they can chase things. So, right. you know, you think about a deer. I'm standing out in a food plot, or wherever, and I'm eating, and I see or or, or sense a coyote. My first reaction is, as you know, I mean, as you know, you watch deer, you hunt deer. They figure out where that. Where's the danger? And then they, as quickly as possible, get into the thickest crap they can find yep. to get away from it. And and it all makes sense. You give deer that really brushy, thick stuff near where they're feeding. And if a coyote approaches them and ch- tries to chase them, boom, they're gone. And uh, the coyote loses, the deer wins. But if you give them the opportunity to chase, they're going to chase. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, we kind of spoke about that in the last podcast with turkeys. Um, that kind of, that kind of correlates a little bit with, uh, I think it was you we were talking about the feeding. We we're talking about if you're going to feed your deer or your turkeys, yeah, yeah that's right. you know, that's put right. it out in open where they can see, but 
if you want it to be for your deer too, then it would be good maybe to still have it in the open, but make sure you got somewhere they can get into cover pretty quick. Um, I mean, I guess that would be true, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, okay. think about you know, if this animal had to escape, where would it go? And understanding it needs to go somewhere that's stick. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good info there. Um, but yeah, that, that was just... Uh, it kind of got me to thinking a lot about that, that, um, and it, it made me think about what you're saying is, you know, we don't really have a, we're not really great at judging deer population. And, uh, that's what I'm, I would think if that were the case, which I mean, like you said, is true in some spots and it's not true in other spots. But if, if, if they were basically eating one deer per month off of a property, then, I mean, eventually you would think you would lose all your deer, but but we still got, it seems like we still have plenty of deer, so. Yeah, and what, what the research has shown is that coyotes are most problematic when deer herds are at low density. So, right. you know, if you're, like you just said, you know, if you're, if they're taking a deer, a couple deer a year off of a couple square miles if you will that's that's not a that's not a big issue in fact it's in some cases they may actually not be enough yeah i mean (laughs) yeah but but in situations where your density is low uh or you may have high doe harvest you know you may have guys or or groups that are that are shooting a lot of does and then you tack on coyotes taking five six off of a, a chunk of property each year that 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 could be a problem right um well now that we're now that we've we've beat that and down about deer and coyotes eating deer um with with coyotes um i mean do they have a more of a pack mentality um or do you do you see some coyotes kind of being loners or well, they they are they're not pack formers like wolves per se, where you have you know an alpha, and then you have subordinate wolves that are of varying ages. They coyotes don't do that. What they do instead is they they form a pair, two adults, they produce pups, and then those pups hang around in mom and dad's home range, and then they are kicked out literally like mom and dad say it's time for you to go they start fighting uh with each other and finally the pups leave and in some cases some pups stay around longer than others but the bottom line is at some point they they disperse and then mom and dad produce another litter right so they just rinse and repeat this um, each year so at times you do have almost like a pack mentality you have mom and dad and, and several pups that are, are, are getting bigger now and, and they hunt cooperatively, like, like kind of like a wolf pack. And then at other times, they, they don't. They go it alone and, and mom may go in this direction and hunt on her own and dad may go in that direction and hunt on his own. And, and we, we, our, our telemetry data shows that. They, they kind of, they're together and then they're apart they're together and then they're apart and and a lot of the, the howling that you hear you know everybody I, 
my neighbors I hear all the time, how did you hear the coyotes? And it's like, yep, you know, they were yipping and yapping. And um, they do some of that at their den site, but they also do some of that at, at what we call rendezvous sites, basically these places where they get together, um, you know, mm-hmm. sip bourbon and smoke cigars and you know, have a good time. Right. <laughs> um, but that's what they're doing. They, they, they leave and they head in different directions and then they come back and they rendezvous. They, they get together and, and then they go back out type of thing. So coyotes are, like I said, they're not pack formers like a wolf, but they, they do hunt together sometimes. Yeah, I've always I've always been interested in that in the uh, especially like with the howling at night. You know, right when it gets dark, you start hearing them start howling right at sundown, and uh, it uh, to me it's just interesting how they how that works. Because um, I I may have said this on the last podcast. I know we talked a pretty good bit about coyotes last time, and uh, but I had a I shot a coyote one time and. There was like two or three packs all around me, but then I heard this one lone coyote all by itself, and he howled just once or twice, and I was like, "Man, he's he's gonna come straight through here because, in like, I know exactly where he's gonna walk because where the way I walk to my stand, that's the easiest path to get over here. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I guarantee you, he is gonna come right here in front of my stand. So. And it's sure enough, ten minutes later he he came over and I shot him. But um but yeah, that was uh that was really it was kinda spooky. <laughs> but it yeah. was also pretty good 'cause I, I got to shoot a coyote. <laughs> Cause uh them jokers, man, they started howling, which that was in the morning time actually. That was about eight, eight thirty in the morning. Pretty pretty well after daylight and I was I was surprised that they were doing that early in the morning like that yeah and and a lot of that you know just depends on when they 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 may do that when they make a kill they do that when they're getting themselves back together you know you typically like say you typically hear it just before dark and you know very very early in the morning but you'll you'll hear howling other times yeah i um i had a uh coyote actually I don't know if I've ever said anything about this on the podcast, but I had my dogs outside one night and I was trying to get them back in. And we hear coyotes all the time, you know, across the street and, you know, way off in the woods and stuff. But this particular night, we had some like right across the street behind my neighbor's house. And they sounded like they were like in his backyard. And I was like, man, they're, they're not far, you know, they were, you know, 200 yards. 300 yards max, you know, and so I'm, and my dogs are out there barking at them, and I'm like, y'all get inside, and, you know, <laughs> I didn't want them to pull them over there, you know, <laughs> and uh, so I'm getting my dogs, and I'm standing outside, and I'm like, my house is basically right beside the woods, and uh, and I got neighbors, I got a neighbor behind my house in the woods, he's 80 yards through the woods behind my house, and I'm sitting there and I'm getting the dogs and a, a coyote howls and barks like basically like a hundred yards mm-hmm. right in my backyard. He was basically in between me and my neighbor's house almost. And, uh, I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I was like, he's really close. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh well, he was close enough made made my hair made the hair stand up on the back of my neck and I was like I was like, Yeah, let's get inside. But uh so like I think you touched on it a little bit there. Um like their mating season. Um their mating season is basically, you know, wintertime like right after deer season or deer and deer season, right? Yeah, it's uh late January, February. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, they they basically kinda they have pups about the same time deer have their pups. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. They are they're denning and producing pups right now. So I guess would it be safe to say, which I mean I think you did say it, if you've got deer or you got turkeys, you're probably gonna have coyotes. Right now, if you're if you're anywhere in the South or Eastern United States, regardless of whether you have, well, turkeys for sure, uh, you're going to have coyotes. They are they are everywhere now. Yeah. All right. Um, so, is there is there any kind of way to, well, especially since we know their main diet is deer. Um, and I guess, I mean, I guess they already kind of are, but um, do you see kind of like coyotes and deer maybe coexisting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, deer have deer have evolved through time. That they deal with they deal with predation. They work around it. You know, like I said. I think it's just it just depends on where you are on the landscape and if you if you're a deer that that has lots and lots of thick cover in your home range and you've got places to escape to and you're probably going to be able to withstand the presence of coyotes a lot easier than say a, a deer that's maintaining a range that's got a lot of of open habitats and places that that coyotes can chase them so yeah, I mean, when you stack the odds in the deer's favor, it's not a problem. Yeah, sure. Sometimes a coyote's still going to win it, uh, but if you stack the odds in the in the deer's favor, then they make it through fine. Yeah, um, I was gonna say. Now, what would what would it be like if? Um, I don't want to say this. So say say if you do have coyotes and everybody says you know shoot every coyote you see, um, I mean is it still a good idea to do that? I mean even though eventually you know sooner or later coyotes eventually going to come back and take over that that property. Right, right. Yeah, I get this. I get asked this a lot, and you know if you the shooting the occasional coyote out of a deer stand that that makes you feel good right <laughs> right yeah but but it, but it does absolutely nothing to the abundance of coyotes on the landscape and and i i i see this a lot on social media and that it's like well wait a minute bull because a dead coyote can't eat a fawn yes that's true uh but what we have found is that when you 
when you remove a resident coyote, well, first of all, let's back up. You're, you're sitting in your deer stand and you shoot a coyote. Well, first of all, first thing to understand is that about four out of every 10, three, three to four out of every 10 are transient. So they weren't there yesterday. Mm -hmm. they, they were somewhere else. So you may have just shot a coyote that wasn't even on the property to begin with and wasn't going to be on the property tomorrow. If you did happen to shoot one of the pair members, one of the, the breeding adults, we're talking days or weeks, not months, before a transient comes in and settles down and occupies that, that spot. So what you see is that you may have removed one coyote with a bullet, but that is, it's only a few days or a few weeks of increased safety, if you will, for a deer because of the death of that coyote. And then some other coyote is there taking that spot. So for coyote removal to work, it has to be intensive and it has to be something that you revisit every year because of this, this transient behavior that we see. So it makes the hunter feel good, right? But but it really does very little, if if anything, to change coyote abundance. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the same thing. I think, I mean, because if I see one, I'm going to shoot it. But sure, sure, and most I most deer hunters do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now if I were going to, especially with a bow, if I were hunting with a rifle and I was trying to really, and I was more focused on killing a big buck or. I had something targeted and something like that, and I wasn't trying to put too much pressure on the spot, then I may not shoot the coyote if I know that it's a good day for that deer. You know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. Because, I mean, I've, I've seen it plenty of times where I have seen a coyote before, and then a few minutes later, right behind him will be a deer, or either or, you know, in front of him or behind him and turkeys too um it really just depends on whether that coyote wants to eat a deer that day i guess but um yeah i, know... I, actually, I actually shot a deer one afternoon as a coyote was walking out of the food plot the the deer were actually i was i was trying to shoot does on the property and a coyote came into the food plot and i was I was about to shoot the coyote and I looked over and there was a, a big group of does coming out on the opposite end of the plot looking at the coyote. Yeah. I was like, well, so the coyote turns around, looks at the deer and like, no, nope, not today and heads in the opposite direction. And it was literally 30 seconds. I, I shot one of the does. So yeah, they, sometimes they get a pass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I shot a, uh, I shot a coyote one time and then, maybe 15 minutes later shot a deer almost right in the same exact spot the coyote was standing <laughs> and uh but uh but yeah like you said uh, we did that once on uh, on a property um where we took out coyotes like well i ain't gonna say we took them all out because you never know if you take all of them out but we put a we put a den in them for sure, sure. and we could definitely tell the difference. Um, I would say for maybe six to eight months, um, it went from 
when you look at the roads, you'd see, you know, tracks all down the roads. I mean, it looked like somebody went down the road with a tiller, but there were so many coyote tracks. And we went in there, took them out, or took out a bunch of them. And I would say for about six to eight months, it went with, like, there was hardly any signs of coyote tracks anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the very next year, well, right after that, about eight month mark or whatever, the coyote tracks just all of a sudden reappeared and they were everywhere again. So, yeah. Yep. It's basically, um, a give and take. It is. And if you, like I said, if you, if your plan is to, to put a dent in them, you, you have to do it just before whatever period for, uh, in this case, it would be before the, either the turkey nesting or fawning period, you know, that's when you need to remove them and then understand that next year you start over because they'll, they'll be back at the same abundance by the next fawning season. Yeah. So I would say perfect timing would be January right after deer season. That's when most will, yeah, most will January, February. Um, I would say if you're, if your fawning season is let's say May, then you need to be thinking March, April. Uh, yeah. If, because it, if, like I said, we're talking weeks here, not months. So if you if you want the biggest bang for your buck, you need to think a month or two at most before fawns or nests start hitting the ground. That's when you that's when you need to start your removal, and understand that it still may not be as effective as you want, uh, depending on. A variety of things, how big of an area you can trap, what your neighbors are doing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is one. I mean, I I will say, you know, I think a lot of people forget about it, but basically, that's it's basically like a smorgasbord at that time of year because I mean, you got turkeys laying nests, you got phones dropping. Uh, I mean, there's at that time there's basically food everywhere for them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but I will. I, I actually um, now in that research was there any uh, like how much did you find that they were actually eating turkeys or turkey eggs? Very rarely. We we only found turkey remains in a handful out of more than a thousand scat that we looked at and and that jives with our turkey research as well we don't we we rarely lose a turkey that we are confident a coyote killed usually it's you know if it's killing adults it's bobcats or horned owls etc and if it's eating nest it's raccoons or snakes or whatever we we rarely have coyotes that kill one of our birds uh, and that was kind of was borne out in the in the analysis we did of the coyote diets yeah yes yeah, so i guess it's safe to say a deer's main concern is a coyote and a turkey's main concern is a bobcat yeah it's almost everything else <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah all right well 
man, I think I pretty much asked every question that I had wrote down on here. Um, I don't know if, uh, at the time I can't really think of anything else. I mean, unless you, if there's anything else you want to say about Cody's or anything like that, people, you think people should know. I mean, I really can. I, I think we've, you know, I think we've, we've covered it. I, I will say, yeah, I get, I get the question a lot. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? And my response is always the same as we, we just, we're going to have to learn to deal with it. And yes, yes there, there are ways to, like we've talked about, you could, you can try to, to trap and remove coyotes prior to say in, in a deer's case and prior to the falling season, but you have to understand you need to have a fairly large footprint, if you will, a large enough area to either trap on or for your neighbors to help. Um, and you're going to have to do it every year. And it may not, may or may not even be that effective in the, in the long run. I think we also need to kind of step back and understand, and, and we talked a little bit about this, I think, previously, is that if you're if you're worried about turkeys or you're worried about deer and, and predation, whether it's from coyotes or bobcats or whatever, is, is, is on your radar screen, then you need to start thinking about the bigger the bigger landscape, not just your property, but your neighbor's properties, and try to provide the best habitat resources that you can. Where you know, like we've talked about with the coyotes, it's make sure your deer have got good escape cover close to your food plots or areas where they're going to be out in the open because if they're chased, they can get away. If you're a turkey manager, you're, you're also thinking thick, you know, grassy kind of brushy areas because that's, that's nesting cover. Um, so, you know, try to kind of stack the deck, if you will, in the game species favor, if that's what you're managing for and, and then the last thing, you know, we're we're going to have to make adjustments to how we to how we use the landscape. And you see, a lot of states are already heading in this direction. Where, in this particular podcast, we're talking about coyotes, but you know, where coyotes are a real problem and where their predation on deer is really heavy, we may have to adjust how many does we remove off of our areas and scale back our our doe kill a little bit. To, to understand that, you know, hey, if, if we're losing a few adult does every year to coyote predation, then we may need to back off a few adult does in our, in our you know, our, our kill because otherwise you're going to, to drive your population to start declining and we don't want that. And, and it becomes kind of exacerbated when you start thinking about fawns because if you're losing adults, you're also losing fawns. So it kind of accumulates. So you, you kind of have to step back and say, okay, well, maybe you know, I'm just picking numbers here. But okay, well, we shoot 20 does every year, and now we're starting to see our, our herd decline a little bit. Well, then let's back off a little bit and let's, let's shoot 15 or, or whatever the number is. I think we're headed in that direction in some places where coyotes are problematic and and they're affecting deer herds and in other areas they may not be having that much of an impact and none of that is really necessary but i think as landowners and hunters and managers we need to keep 
keep all options on the table and, and kind of, you know, be willing to be proactive rather than reactive. And, and if we do, then in the long run, like we talked about, deer are going to fit, they figure out how to deal with coyotes. And they've been doing that for forever. Um, they just haven't been doing it in your neck of the woods in the southeast until more recently, but they dealt with wolves historically. They, they're, they're adapted to deal with predation. So if, if we stack cars in their, in their favor, then they'll make it work. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a good way to uh, wrap it up and basically kind of give everybody an idea of how it's going to be. And I, I would, I'd say, like you said, I would say the biggest thing is uh, landscape. Um, Cause I mean, I think the deer, if you make, if you make it right for the deer, then the deer, they'll find a way to, they'll find a way to get away from them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, man, I guess that's um, about it for coyotes. I actually kind of throw this in there, too. This ain't got nothing to do with coyotes. Um, and I'll just get your thoughts on this. Um, I actually, back in uh, turkey season, we did a podcast about turkey population and uh, turkey biology and we've pretty much come to the conclusion over this podcast and the last one that, you know, coyotes don't have really that much of an impact on turkeys. And, um, but this is about more about turkey population. And I want to see what your thoughts were on it right quick. Um, I did a podcast with you. And then a few episodes later, I did a podcast with uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Mole. And, uh, he used to, uh, we, we talked about turkey population and about the decline in the population and stuff like that. And he said one thing that he's noticed is, um, is particularly in the South, um, is that the population seems to be going down for turkeys even more so than like in the mountain areas and then in the Midwest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not necessarily in the Midwest, but more the more hilly country where there's less ag. And because uh, he was saying, and that's what made me think about it, because he said, um, if you look at the whole landscape of you know, basically the whole country, like we said, you know, most of the time people want to blame coyotes and predators are the biggest reason for turkey population. But, and that's one thing he said, he's, he said that um, he's been all over the country and hunted everywhere, but he's noticed the biggest drop in the south, southeast. But he said, if you think about it, he said, there's coyotes everywhere. He said, you got the Midwest, um, pretty much any state. He said, every state's got coyotes just like we do. He said, but the biggest thing he's seen is m- more particularly in the, in the agricultural regions where there's like row crops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says it seems that the population has dropped more so there than anywhere else. And he said he believes that it may have something to do with um, uh, farmers and folks using chicken manure over um, 
yeah, the pelletized yep. the pelletized fertilizer. Yep, yep. Yeah, and there there there's some research ongoing. Uh, I'm I'm personally not doing any of that work, but I'm familiar with it. And yeah, there there there's definitely the potential for spreading disease with chicken litter. Um, there are a number of diseases, blackhead being one of the prominent ones that can be spread in, in chicken manure. And I hear that quite a bit and I, I get, I can't tell you how many times I was contacted this spring about, about this question from people who got trail camera pictures of, of turkeys that had look, you know, avian pox or blackhead um, and, and were questioning, hey, could this have come from chicken litter? My, I, I leave, for instance, I lease a piece of property and, and the owner uses chicken litter on his, on his food plots. And my response is absolutely, it can. Now, whether that contributes to the broader scale declines, I, I have a, a difficult time drawing that conclusion because we're seeing region-wide declines in turkeys, mm-hmm. not just local here and there. We're, obviously, there are places turkeys are doing well, but speaking in generalities, across the southeast, we're seeing declining populations. So, yes, I think it's, it could be a contributing factor in certain areas. I don't think it's the, you know, it's, it's not the smoking gun. Um, right, but it, but it could be it could be part of the and very likely is part of the the discussion, um, and and I I suspect the research will show as it continues to come out that that in certain areas it can be problematic and cause and cause loss of birds. You know, again, the number of of pictures and and reports I got just this spring. Uh, it, around my house just to, just here in the, the Athens Georgia area it was pretty it was pretty startling and sobering I mean, a lot of pictures of dead turkeys you know that were harvested that had clearly had blackhead or pictures of a bird in a food plot that uh, were clearly sick and and in most of those cases there there was chicken litter applied to, to that landscape where that bird was so I, I'm I'm as curious as everyone else as the research continues to come out what what that answer is. But I, again, I think it's definitely a, a contributing factor in some places. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like we said in the last one. I think it's definitely definitely that. But it's also like you said last time, death by a thousand cuts, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. But. Um, well, Mike, I uh, I sure do appreciate you coming on here, man. I think we I don't think we really have anything else to cover about coyotes. I think we pretty much we we covered the whole gambit there. I think. Well, it was good talking to you, and and uh, be happy to come back on in the future. Oh yeah, man. If you can, let everybody know if there's anywhere they can get any uh, content that y'all are putting out or anything like that. Yeah. So um, I post a lot on on social media, so. All of the turkey research that that we do, I post. Uh, I make a post every Tuesday on all three of my social media accounts. So if you're interested in turkeys, I do put some of the coyote work out in, in those outlets as well. If you just 
Uh, if you go to Facebook and look up my name, uh, you can follow me on Facebook. If you go on Instagram or Twitter, uh, my handle is, is Wild Turkey Doc. And like I said, every, every week I'm posting little blurbs of information about the work we're doing and what it means. So if you're interested, certainly take a look. Awesome. 